Welcome to the Looper Podcast, a show where we make the rounds with interesting golf personalities. Here's your host, Eric Payton. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Uh, today's guest is Ryan French. He's um, probably best known for being the guy behind the Monday Q Info Twitter account where he tracks Monday qualifiers. Um, he also writes for the Fire Pit Collective, does a lot of interesting stories on there as well. Um, you'll probably notice in this one, I screwed up a little bit with the uh, with my microphone, with my audio quality, um, and so my sound is not the best, but Ryan's is a little bit better. Um, so hopefully you can overlook that and still enjoy this episode. So without further delay, here it is. My name is Ryan French. I run a Twitter account called Monday Q Info, um, and I uh, influencer. I hate that word. So I'm a storyteller for Fire Pit Collective, which is uh, Matt Janella, Alan Shipnick, and Alan Q. Peggy's uh, media company that uh, they started about eight months ago. So um, yeah, write articles. We're working on a TV show. So. Um, yeah, that's what I do now. Excellent, excellent. So how did you get started playing the game of golf? Yeah, um, my dad was a golfer, a good golfer, and uh, our backyard was um, uh, the local municipal course uh, in a town in northern Michigan where I grew up. So um, a weird a weird part of my story is that um, my parents, when I was six years old, our TV started on fire. And we never got it replaced. So my parents didn't have a TV for over 30 years from that point on until they finally got one about maybe 10 years ago once they got to retirement age. But, um, yeah, so I grew up without a TV. Um, and I definitely attribute to, A, being a golf nerd because I got all of my uh, information from newspapers and magazines, which is obviously more in-depth than, you know, what you see on sports center or whatever on TV. And then uh, second of all, it's why I love golf. Uh, I didn't have much to do at home. My parents were not against TV or anything like that. It was just like, Hey, we'll get it fixed next week or next month. And, yeah. uh, and eventually we just didn't miss it anymore. My brother and sister both went off to college. And so I was young enough that when it, when it happened that I really didn't miss it because I never really had it. So yeah. um, I uh, it's, it's the reason I played golf a lot. I mean, what else were we going to do during the day? I came home from school and, you know, went to friend's house for the TV fix that I needed. And the other times, uh, you know, was that spent at the golf course? It was accessible. And um, my dad made an effort to come home every day and, uh, and play golf. We, we lived on number three. We started on number four and end on number three. We'd play towards sunset, played in about an hour. and It was great. Yeah. Yeah. So did you ever have, uh, dreams of, of playing on tour or was that kind of a goal of yours or. I mean, I think we all do, Eric. Um, you know, I grew up in a small Northern Michigan town. I was a, a, like a good player or okay player and, you know, won the city open when I was a teenager. And so, you know, I thought it was pre-internet days and those kind of things. I thought I was, you know, good enough. And then I went to a junior college and, did pretty well there. And then my wake up call was going to Michigan state. You know, I thought it was 
okay, I was kind of a, a big fish in small ponds twice and went to Michigan State and was play, playing the best golf of my of my life and really didn't have a chance to really make the five-man team. I was probably number, you know, it's going to be, had I stuck with it, number seven or eight on the team at best. And Michigan State wasn't very good at the time. And, you know, 75s and 76s, don't fly at Division One golf, so it was my wake-up call that I had no, no legitimate chance to, uh, you know, do it professionally. Yeah. Not that there weren't signs before that, but that was the real like, yeah, you have no chance. Yeah, yeah. So the the uh, one of the guys I grew up playing a little bit with, and I still to this day say the greatest player I've ever played with uh, when it went on to play at Michigan State. His name mm. was Jack Newman. Um, oh, yeah. Won the pub links. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Played the masters and, and, you know, I, I just looked at him and realized and remember how good he was and how he wasn't able to make it. And just the, uh, the crop of players that are out there and how good yeah. you really got to be to be on the PJ tour is just insane. And to wrap your mind around that is, is kind of crazy, but, um, yeah. Yeah, we had a kid that grew up in our town that was a senior when I was a freshman. He went on to play for the University of Michigan, and he was their number one man for four years. And my dad was part of a, a group that, like, helped his fund his first year as a pro, and he quit six months in. He's like, you know, I have a degree from a very good university. What am I doing out here? Yeah. I mean, obviously, that I'm sure if he stuck with it, he would at least give him a chance. But, again, guys like Jack didn't yeah. make it, so – you never know. And he was just like, the lifestyle's not at all it's cracked up to be. And, uh, you know, I have a, a degree from a great university. I'm going to, I'm going to stop playing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you were growing up, did, did you have an interest in the mini tour aspect of, of professional golf or when did that kind of interest? Yeah. Start? Uh, the first interaction I had with a pro golfer was in the small town of northern Michigan there was a connection to a guy named Greg Pratt and Greg Kraft um has won an opposite field event but it's like you know a, a casual golf fan would not in a million years know who Greg Kraft is um but he I mean he played very well on the mini tour I mean on the PGA tour for a while um I don't know what his career earnings in five or six million but um he came up to uh Alpina and played a round of golf uh, with a couple of like the local young guys and just his, I mean, first of all, he was obviously amazingly good. And so it was insight into that. And then, you know, his, his conversations were like, Hey, it's just not all it's cracked up to be. And obviously this is, you know, this is in the like early nineties. So the money wasn't, you know, what it is today. So, you know, finishing 125th on the money list back then wasn't as, I mean, it was still okay, but it wasn't like it is these days. And, uh, you know, his conversations about his lifestyle were always interesting. So, yeah, I always looked at the Detroit Free Press game every Monday and looked at money earned. It really started with Greg. But, yeah, I've, I've always just kind of been a golf nerd. My golf week used to come and, um, you know, the monthly issue had all the mini tours listed and those kind of things. So, yeah, I've always been a nerd. And then um, – uh, after college, my dad and I used to make a trip a year and go caddy on a mini tour. So that's when it really kind of my nerdiness really took off is I was still relatively naive to what pro golf looked like in the first trip that we made. 
was to a Canadian tour event, which is now obviously affiliated with PGA tour, but it wasn't at that time. It was just a very good developmental tour in Canada. And, um, we used to camp. That was our tradition. And the first time we pulled in, we camped and next to us was a, was a pro in a, a tent. And I was just like, what, you know, just like most people, I was like, you know, I thought pro golfers were wealthy and everything was great. And they you know, all came from, you know, nice country clubs. And so uh, that was kind of my wake up call. And from there was lucky enough to caddy at Q school. And we did a ton of Mondays and those kind of things. Never did it full time. Just, Kind of as a fun hobby and so mm-hmm. um yeah i mean i've been a nerd my whole life for sure yeah. yeah and so what is it can you even put a finger on like what is it about um those unknown guys trying to make it that you, that really drew you to that rather than the the big tour I, I just think i think um you know a friend of mine who just recently stopped playing golf said it best is it's kind of a curse to be as good as those guys are like, it was very easy for me to go like, yeah, I'm not good enough. But, uh, I think from a much bigger perspective, Eric, now that the, now that the show has gotten or, or my account has gotten bigger and those kind of things, I just really think it's an important part of the game to tell. I'm not sure. I thought that when I was in it, I was just interested in the fact that people think of golf as, you know, these millionaires and private jets and, you know, hundred thousand dollars for top twenties and it's, you know, 95% of pro golfers live opposite of that. And so, um, now that the account has gotten bigger and I've really kind of thought about it, I just, I think it's an important part of the game to tell. I think outside perspective is that golf is elitist and everybody's rich and we all come from, you know, country clubs. I grew up on a Muni, not that I like, we're a middle-class family, whatever, but I grew up on a Muni. I, a lot of, you know, whatever that percentage is, a large percentage of golfers play on very average golf courses uh, and come from very average backgrounds. And so, um, and I think from the outside, it's not what people think of as golf. Obviously, there's many tour players that have come from money and come from the clubs that no one will ever be able to play at and those kind of things. Of course, there's part of that and it costs huge amount of money to play golf no, no argument about that but I think that my interest was always that the public persona versus what is really happening out there mm-hmm. yeah yeah that is kind of interesting I mean uh, when I first started following you which I think I was kind of li- thinking back into when I for you first came on my radar and I think it was Corey Connor's uh story um where he you know, Monday qualified and then ended up winning the event. Um, I, I don't even think growing up in golf, I even realized Monday qualifying was a thing and mm-hmm. how many, many tours there were and how much of a grind that actually is. You know, you just think of pro athletes in general, and even if it's another sport, how many millions the top guys that you watch are making, yeah. and that's just not the, the reality of it. But um, So you've really opened my eyes to... to what that's all like because I was kind of like you I I knew I wasn't ever even close to being Mm -hmm. on tour so I didn't have to just like you said that curse of being almost good enough um yeah I mean yeah is you know um people have listened like Mark Baldwin is a is a great example Mm -hmm. is 
you know, Mark is very good, can play on tour. There's no argument. I mean, he's made, he's had two starts in the last two years and both times has been in the top 20 going into the final round. So there's no argument that he can play on tour. You know, Mark specifically is not, his wedge game is not as strong as his other parts of his game. He's a better tour player than he is a corn fairy player and he struggled on the corn fairy, but that's the only way for the most part that you get onto the PGA tour. But events like the AT&T where, you know, uh, he was T20 heading into the final round. It's kind of, I mean, we've talked about it after. It's like, it's kind of a curse. You know, he's been at this for 16 years. And now everybody is telling him, Peter Jacobson's after the rounds, like, you got to stick with it, right? And he has a wife and kids. And so now, like, it's great. And he does belong. And it's given him a huge boost of confidence and all those kind of things. But how long do you do it? How You know, you have to be a relatively selfish person to be a pro golfer and people in your life have to sacrifice with you. And it's like, you know, now that he has a, a kid, it's like, how long does he do that? Right. Mm-hmm. No matter if he thinks he can, he knows he can play on tours. The fact is he's not on tour. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, those insights. And obviously as a kind of grown, I've been lucky enough to like get to know and these stories more and more, but, um, yeah, there's, there's just so many players out there that, uh, have kind of, you know, grinded their way and a lot of them most of them are never going to make it yeah and you think about just in golf one of the things i love about golf is there's there's no contracts there's no like you you've made it you signed your 300 million dollar contract and now you can just kind of coast um i say it eric is it's it's the best and worst thing about golf Mm -hmm. is um you know in other pro sports someone else tells you when to stop for the most part, you know, for 98% of players is that you get cut and no one signs you or, you know, whatever. That's what happens most of the time in golf. There is no one to tell you that. And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of people out there who quite frankly, shouldn't be out there, but it also is the most democratic sport there is Mm -hmm. Uh, 100%. You can, you don't have to go to college. There's plenty of players who haven't gone to college. There's kids from, D3 and D2 and places D1 that you've never, ever heard of uh, that are on the PGA Tour. It is the most democratic. I mean, Mondays, it's why I love Mondays. There is nothing like it in sports. It is literally the most democratic sport there is. Go shoot a number and you're going to play on the biggest stage in the world. Yeah. Uh, There's no one to tell you that you're too small, too far, too short, not the right clubs. Uh, Don't work the ball both ways. Doesn't matter. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it is the best and worst part about golf for sure. Yeah. So in this conversation, it kind of makes me think of the, the hot topic now is the Saudi league um, where they've, you know, the, the idea is 40 players, no cut, you know, big signing, you know, they get, they make their money before they even shoot a score. Do you have any thoughts on, um, I mean that to, from the sounds of it, it probably wouldn't even interest you because you, the whole, there's, it takes the story out of it. It takes the, the grind, the... I mean, I know I'm very biased, but it's just, I don't, I don't understand the draw that anybody would... I mean, first of all, they're not getting... It's pretty obvious they're not getting the top 40 players in the world. So if they did get the top 40s, listen, I know I'm in the minority of someone who pays attention to the bottom of the leaderboard and bottom of the uh, 
like world rankings. I, I, I totally understand that. But now that they're not getting the top 40, it's pretty clear that I, I don't understand the interest of it, of watching rich people get richer with no cut, no drama, no matter what, if they win, it's not going to be life changing. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I mean, it's not even my account, other accounts. It's like, there's too many tournaments in, on the PGA tour, let alone another whole tour. I mean, people, including me, I'm the biggest golf nerd in the world, but like in the fall, when you've had event after event, after event, it's like, okay, I get it. Like mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a bit boring. So I just don't see how you can change the culture of, um, of, of people thinking that they should be interested in multi-million dollars. And everyone's like, well, that's what happens in, in the NBA or NHL, yeah, but in the NBA or NHL, they're playing for one title. Yeah. Uh, and so one team wins and uh, everybody else fails. And that's what drives everyone to be motivated the next year. If there's, in the Saudi League's case, 14 events with no majors, no real things, like 14 winners is just going to be mm – -hmm. I don't get it. I really yeah. don't. I really just struggle to get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's exactly why the WGCs have failed. Like, people got bored with them. Yeah. And I I, I don't get it from a concept. <laughs> Take the politics and everything else out of it. I don't get the concept. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I could be proven obviously wrong, but I, I did, from a pure golf perspective, but zero interest in it. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, okay, so your Monday Q uh, Twitter account, which I'm sure most of the people listening are already following you and already have heard what you're doing. But what uh, was the initial spark that um, started yeah, I mean, starting that account? Yeah, the initial spark was my son had brain surgery. So, um, yeah, almost four years ago now, my son had brain surgery and, um, um, he, uh, he has a condition called Chiari malformation and which Bobby Jones happens to have. Um, mm. and I left my restaurant job to, uh, I was running a group of restaurants. It's what I've done my whole life. And, um, I left, uh, for a couple months, the plan was for a couple months, we have another daughter, uh, we have a, a daughter also. So. At the time, a four and a two-year-old, my wife uh, had our health insurance. She's a nurse. So I left my job. I just took a leave of absence. And the plan was like two or three months, get him back to health and, you know, go back to work and, you know, move on. And in the meantime, I just started a Twitter account. The initial idea, Eric, was just so for those that don't know, Monday qualifiers are run by PGA sections. And PGA sections are in all every part of the country. So, um I'm gonna sneeze. Bless you. So, uh, PJ sections are all over the um, all over the country, and so Monday qualifying leaderboards are on different websites every week, and so people just struggled to find them. And honestly, I was like, if I had 50 followers or 100 followers, I would have thought that was a lot outside mm -hmm. of friends and family. I had no idea people were interested in this, so. Um, that's how the idea started. And then the growth kind of started when I started telling stories about caddying or in the Monday qualifier, someone would have a good story and I would just kind of tell their story. Oh, they've been a pro for 12 years and, you know, this kind of thing. So it, the storytelling is what really kind of took off. And then 
I mean, there's moments that, you know, the PGA tour itself started following me around 10,000. And I was like, well, you know, maybe this is a thing. And I, um, and I've said it many times, it's like, I didn't make money from this for three years. And the only reason I tried to is to keep it going. It was like, I was bartending on this. So it became a thing. And I was like, well, I'll try to turn it into a business to keep it going. And couldn't figure out how to do that. And was bartending on the side many times. I was like, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. And then Sean Martin got me a job writing the Monday qualifying article mm. at the PGA tour. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't for much money, but kind of a carrot that just kind of kept it going again. And um, yeah, now here I am. We're working on a TV show. Yeah. So it's just crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so at first, how was you were just like going to different the different websites and and collecting the information? Is that still kind of how you do it? And because I assume you're not traveling to every single one of them because they're all yeah, over the place. But correct. I mean that that part of it, um, Eric, has gotten much easier. Yeah, it used to be. I mean, basically, I would just like if I didn't know the player, you know, and I don't, I didn't know them back then. But it, you know, if I didn't know their story or didn't recognize the name, I mean, simple like Google searches and. You know, you'd find a local newspaper article was like, oh, this guy was in a car accident, you know, four months ago and has somehow come back or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was is that I mean, the, the story side of it is much easier now because I always say is that expectations have grown. The storytelling is easier because most people come to me now. So it's like girlfriends, mothers, the player themselves, friends whatever will message me and say, Hey, you know, Eric has a great story. Here's, you know, his father just recovered from cancer or whatever, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. whatever the story is. So um, it's much easier. Yeah. Back then was a ton, ton of work. Um, now the work is I'm telling bigger stories and those kind of things, but the like finding out about players is much, much easier now because most of the, hate to say it like that, but like most people follow me. So yeah. they'll, they'll reach out with the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there something that like has surprised you not about the account or, or what you're doing, but like what that you've learned once you've got in, gotten into it about that level of golf that you weren't aware of at first, you know what I mean? That, that, um, initially drew you to the sport. Yeah. I mean, I think, every like year or whatever that set time frame is, is just, it's the same thing is I, I'm blown away by a, the, the people who have sacrificed golfers and outside the ropes. I mean, we'll use Mark's wife again as a, an example her name's Sarah. And, you know, she's caddied for him across China and Korea and, you know, basically given up her life in order for Mark to chase his life, you know, his dreams. And, um, yeah, that, that has been, and, and the, the level of play is obviously, you know, is like, I, I can't tweet about it enough. I just wish I could take people there. I mean, Corey Connors is a great example. Corey's like whatever top 50 in the world, um, right now. And did can Canada know who he was? Yes. And did he have a good, very good amateur career? Yes. But there's plenty of very good amateurs, uh, who never sniffed the PGA Tour. So the fact is a top 50 player was playing at a Monday qualifier, you know, two and a half years ago. So um, the level of play is is ridiculous. 
and the sacrifices these guys make. And I mean, Mark and I are going to play at the Honda Monday next week. I mean, we're staying at a follower's house in a, you know, his pool house in the back of the play. So like, okay. you know, Mark's 38. He doesn't want to do that Yeah. from the standpoint of like, he'd love to be able to afford a hotel, but he's very grateful, obviously, of the followers giving him a place to stay. But, um, you know, it's just on a pure level. Like you don't want to stay yeah. at a guy's house. You don't know, but it's what you do. Yeah. 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 The, the, um, kind of like I mentioned earlier, just the, the skill of these guys and all that, all that they go through. Um, I, I remember there was an event that I played in years ago, um, where it was a 36 hole event in one day and I, I shot seventy one sixty six, and it was like the best I'd ever played in a, in a professional event. Uh, and I was playing paired with this guy who I don't know why he was in town, but he was just he just signed up for fun to play, and he was a Hooters tour guy. Shot sixty four sixty, and uh, missed a twenty footer on the last for fifty nine, and was just putting on a clinic. And I never saw the tee like had honors that whole second round, and I shot sixty six. And I've never heard from the guy again. It, it's just crazy. He he was he was unbelievable. But yeah, um, I mean. I, I always say it's like you go if you went to a Monday qualifier and and picked you know one of the good players. There's obviously some players that are not shouldn't be there, but for the most part, ninety percent of them, especially at a PGA Tour Monday, should be there or have had past success or whatever. You know, if you went and played with them, for ninety nine percent of golfers, it would be the best golfer they've ever played with. I mean, ever. Just end of story. Um, you know, I mean, again, Mark, I, I only say it because I, you know, I've obviously been around him the most is like, Mark's the longest hitter I've ever been around. He hits it straight and long. I mean, he, he flew this, this par five Creek at, at Monterey Peninsula that no one else flew. It was like three thirty fly, you know, fly. I mean, he hits it long. If you played with him, I mean, we've had players from college play with him and go, you know, how are you not on the tour? Well, mm. the fact is, it just hasn't been good enough. That's mm. that's the end of the day, and so like, you know, I mean, I a college kid that we played with came up to me and was like, "Why? How is it in the market tour?" And I was just like, you know, he just hasn't played good enough. And if that scares you, how good Mark is, then pro golf might not be a place for you because the fact is, there's a lot of marks out there. Whatever Mark, Mark happens to hit the ball very far, so he impresses more people. But there's a guy who's an amazing wedge player who's never been there an amazing putter and all those things. It just, the, the level of play is, you know, I mean, Mark can, any player, it doesn't matter. can go out and shoot 65 without a, you know, without blinking an eye and on a course that most players would, you know, most golfers would think is, is relatively difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, the uh, it, Mark Baldwin situation, it, was kind of interesting because I had originally messaged you um, like late January and then right after that is when this whole thing happened which is was one of the coolest things to follow um, from afar and so I'm assuming being in it and doing it was even you know 10 20 30 times cooler but um, so how did you first meet Mark and how did that all come about yeah it was literally through um through Twitter. So he was one of my very early followers and I knew of him 
And I can't remember if he Monday qualified and I told a story about him, but we messaged back and forth. And then, yeah, three years ago, there was a corn ferry event here. And I just sent him a message and said, hey, you can stay at my house. Uh, I live in Chicago. And um, it turned out to be like um, he found a, a sponsor, a follower of mine, like got on his bag and paid for his hotel for the week. And uh, I like just wrote some stories. And so caddy for him in that event. Um, and then, um, yeah, from, from that, it just kind of took off. And then the Barracuda last year is when, I mean, we had, we had become good friends in between there, but last year he Monday qualified for the Barracuda. I stayed in caddy for him. He made the cut there was in the top 20 and I wrote a story every day and people just, you know, took an interest to him is again, he's, he's very unusual from the standpoint of, you know, he's played on 16, 15 OWGR tours. I mean, he's played on, on, on tours all over the world. So, yeah. um, you know, I think a lot of people live vicariously through Mark as they've got to know him is like, and he doesn't come from money at all. I mean, he's run out of money a million times himself and, you know, have had people help him or, I mean, he lived at his mother-in-law's house for a long time. Um, you know, I mean, he stayed in crappy places in Asia. So I think a lot of people just resonate with the fact of like his never give up attitude. Mm -hmm. You know, some people think it's crazy and I understand that, but just, I think a lot of people live vicariously through him of like, they wish they had the, you know, the stones to, to go throw caution to the wind and just continue to chase your dreams you know mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense really that's yeah, that's yeah. the fact of the matter is like the odds of him getting to the pga tour or anyone are so amazingly slim but he's playing the best golf of his life and obviously some opportunities have come from it now that the stories come so yeah the at&t was i i don't even know how to describe it i don't have the words to do it and amazing and i and, and mark tried his best to articulate it but it was an unreal week to play three of the best golf courses in the world. Uh, people care about what you're doing. I mean, I would get messages like, oh, my God, I woke up, you know, I'm in Belgium. And I woke up and refreshed the scoreboard and see you guys made the cut. And I'm just like, it's crazy. Um, yeah. But it was the the Barracuda and the AT&T were the best two weeks I've ever spent in golf. And that includes anything I've done on my own, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And for anyone who is unaware of this whole story, you've got a couple articles on the Fire Pit Collective that that are really great to follow along with and and hear that whole story. But is is there one moment or maybe one shot or one hole that kind of sticks out as a highlight from that whole week? That, that yeah, really I mean Saturday. Yeah, for the those that don't know, um, the AT&T is a three course rotation. So it's a three course, a three day cut. So there's no day, no cut after two. You have to have a cut after three. And um, so Mark shot, he played well at Spy Guys very well. And then um, didn't play great at Pebble shot even. Um, and so it was right around the cut line heading to the, to the last, to the Saturday, which is the cut day. We're playing uh, Monterey Peninsula and yeah, that last five holes was the coolest moments ever. So Mark birdied four of the last five. And for those that don't know, it's just like the cut line is, especially in Mark's position where this was 
one of, I mean, we have the Barracuda coming up an exemption in July, but this is basically his only tour event outside of a Monday, which is, as we know, very mm -hmm. difficult. So the, the, the realistic is like, you'd probably be his only tour, tour start until the Barracuda is, you know, the cut line just weighs on, on people. And so we're right along the cut line the whole day. Um, and so that's not a lot of fun. I mean, that's, it hangs over you. I say it all the time. There's like, Eric is like, no one talks. Mark and I don't talk about it and say, Oh, we're one off the cut line. But mm -hmm. I, on the PGA tour, there's big giant electronic scoreboards. And no matter what is showing on the top right corner, it says projected cut. So we all know, like, and pro golfers know enough to know like what the number is going to be within one anyway, before they tee off. And so Mark was like one under even one under through most of the day. And like, right around the cut line and then the last four holes he made two huge bombs uh and it was just the coolest moments i've spent in golf and then on the last hole he made uh he made a 35 footer for birdie and uh and there was a you know a couple hundred people around the green and it was it was amazing uh i mean, the whole week was just unreal but yeah. that that was the most special for sure yeah. Had you ever been on any of those courses before? None. Mark and I had not ever touched or seen. So it kind of, for, you know, Mark to be in the top 20 with, A, he had never played on that type of grass. So for players, that's that's very, you know, it's tough to get used to. It's hard to get used to. We had to learn three courses. Um, you know, the pressure of being a sponsor exemption and knowing this is kind of your only chance, basically. Yeah, it was a really impressive week because um, – so difficult golf courses to get used to three green speeds, three, you know, strategies, all those kind of things. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's one of those great moments. that's kind of a curse because it kind of proves that you can be out there. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it kind of makes it difficult to, uh, you know, to stop when you, you've just proven that, Hey, you're, I mean, you know, two weeks ago, you were top 20 at, at a regular PGA tour event. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Once you get the taste, you're you're wanting to keep going. Um, so you're caddying for him both at Honda Monday qualifier and then the yeah. July one. Yeah, and really uh, to do that, Eric is just really is. I want to. We're we're making a show about it, but we're not videotaping any of these Mondays. It's just kind of to bring people inside the ropes. So like, obviously, the odds are we're not going to Monday qualify. Scott Fawcett has put Monday qualifying at 7% chance for any good player with tour capabilities, kind of a 7% chance to get through for the most part. So okay. obviously the odds are, you know, stacked against you. There's been, I mean, I think Corey Connors theory uh, Monday for the Valero and one, I think he was like 0 for 11 leading up to that. Oh, wow. You know. Yeah. So it was like, there's no, I mean, Mondays suck in our heart. Yeah. So, but the reason I'm going to go is because if we get in, I want to, you know, bring people inside the ropes. That's kind of what has made Mark's story and those kind of things popular is, you know, what was he feeling walking up 17? What was he feeling up walking up 18? What did we talk about? You know, did we know what the number was? Did we look at the scoreboard? And then how that translates to the rest of his week if he gets in and then top 10, hey, we can go back to like, hey, at 16, we were thinking, I mean, the Barracuda is a great example. Uh, we were standing on 15 and said, well, we got to birdie the rest of them uh, to get in. And so 
we ended up burning three of the last four, and that was good enough to get in a playoff and get in win. But, um, you know, I want to take people back there if something happens, uh, you know, if we do Monday and get through. So yeah. I think it's just an important part of the storytelling process is I don't want to be there for the fun, you know, fun parts is, hey, and I, I want to bring people inside the ropes regardless of that. You know, when you shoot, we, we went to the RSM Monday and shot 76 and we're out of it, you know, 30 second, you know, three holes in. Yeah. Like that yeah. sucks and it's no mm. fun. And, mm. you know, you've just paid $500, flew across the country, left your child and it stinks, you know? Yeah. And so I, I, pro, I want to give an honest look at pro golf. The good times and bad times. The good times are great, but as Mark says, there's 30 bad times for every one good time, and the yeah. one good time is pretty fleeting. Uh, the AT&T is a great example. Mark played pretty bad on Sunday, and we walked away from the greatest week of Mark's life pretty depressed. Yeah. And we're like, and you're like, damn, 24 hours ago, we had just made the cut shot 67 at Monterey. We're like hugging, high-fiving Steve Young, Hall of Fame quarterback, and Ben Rector, Grammy Award-winning artist, and Peter Jacobson and we were like jumping around on the green and 24 hours later, we're walking away. Like we've been hit by a truck. Yeah. And I mean, that's pro golf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, and that if for that event to be so unique in that you are playing with yep. these three, three guys, two of them who, you know, are not golfers. And, and, yep. um, so that's, that's awesome. Um, so do you have your eye, you probably know more, golfers than anyone uh because of the tours that you follow there's i don't even know how many tours um you know that information way better um but are there some guys that you're really like keeping your eye on right now and and can you normally when you are following these can you normally identify like oh that guy's got got the it factor yeah i mean um i i use mark anguiano as as the person who didn't have status leading up to this year he now has corn fairy status, but um, yeah, there's definitely guys you see over and over again and you see them play or you go to an event and they kind of have it, you know, whether mm -hmm. that equals results, it doesn't always. And there's plenty of guys who have it who are working office jobs or working as a club pro now. So it's, it doesn't necessarily translate, but yes, I mean, th there's probably a list of four or five guys that I'm like, you know, they will eventually be on tour. Yeah. Do I, will that translate to them being on tour? Maybe, Yeah. but they definitely have the skills to be there. Yeah. And in the, in the Monday qualifying world, is there an event that is kind of your favorite to cover? Yeah. Uh, I mean the Honda Monday, so it's kind of a long story. I got to try to keep it a story, but the Honda, when it, prior to the players and all the schedule changes, the Honda used to be a very marquee event. It's not anymore, okay. but, it used to be very marquee and a lot of the Europeans, obviously people play over here more often now, but you know, 10 years ago or, or even less than that, eight years ago, you know, basically Europeans played on Europe and I met at WGCs and that was it. So the Honda used to be a lead up to the Florida swing where Europeans came over and led up to the masters. And so the Honda Monday is, was truly the Super Bowl of Mondays. I mean, I looked mm. back on one and it was like Shane Lowry, Alex Noren. I mean, it was like, I think there was 
seven or nine players in the top 100 you know, in the in the Honda. It has definitely changed now. A lot of players take off the Honda now because Arnold, the Arnold Palmer is coming up. The players is coming up, and then like there's a W, there's a, a, a something right after that. And so, uh, in they, it it falls pretty badly now. And so, mm-hmm. the Honda is not what it used to be. But the Honda is still the waste management and the Honda are the two Mondays a year that used to be the Honda. The waste management is still very good, okay. and the Honda is. Is still good this year. For instance, there's no corn ferry event, so basically, every corn ferry member will be there because a lot oh, of them yeah. live in Florida. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it'll be a 130 player field, uh, and you know, there'll be a bunch of tour winners and those kind of things. It's not as good as it used to, but yeah, if I had one answer, the Honda Mondays has been traditionally the the Super Bowl of Mondays. Okay, and we and we're recording this on the first day of the Genesis, so this is next week. Is yes, the Monday. Yeah. Event. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, I might have to try to get this out, out before then, um, if that's the big one. Um, okay. So is there something, um, so other than the, other than the Honda and obviously the Barracuda in July, is there something that you're really looking forward to, um, in, in the Monday qualifying world, but also maybe just, um, in your career as, as a golf journalist, I'd say, um, something that you're looking forward to. Uh, I mean, this, the the show we're, we're kind of doing a show on the back of of like players like this. So I mean, I'm just very lucky, and uh, I think it'll give great insight into what people do. You yeah. know, um, uh, I I, want to take the level of of people uh, learning about what these guys and girls go through in their life, and so it's a great opportunity to to kind of do that. And where will people be able to see that show? So right now it'll probably just be YouTube. Um, we're kind of doing it just to kind of prove our concept um, before we hopefully have it on a streaming service at some point. But yeah. um, we don't want to do it now. We want to kind of do it how we want it and kind of prove people that you know this is people things that are people interest people are interested in. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a uh, an estimated release date? Yeah, we're gonna probably. Uh, our, our goal right now is probably a little bit after the masters for the first, first episodes. Um, okay. we're trying to do 15 episodes in this, you know, calendar year, but we want to get them lined up and ready to go. So we have like eight or 10 ready before we, we release the first one yeah. so we can kind of consistently put them out. Yeah. Awesome. And I assume this is through fire pit. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And the, everyone's involved. It's not just me. It's, uh, everyone at Firepit kind of has their own players that they're following and you know documenting and telling the story. So that'll be great. I'll uh, I'll link some of those things in the show notes and so people can see that and and also your your handle and all everywhere to find your stuff. So um, well, I'll, a question I always like to end on is what's your favorite course that you've ever played? Um, yeah, I mean I get this a few times and I uh, I just love my home course. I mean it was an old municipal course. I mean, it's just a tiny little um, thing, but it just has a lot of great memories. My dad and I, my dad has uh, dementia now, and so mm-hmm. its importance has kind of become more. And used to play with my grandpa and my brother. My mom used to walk around and follow us, and so it's just kind of a special place. And um, yeah, if I had to if I had to choose a, a course that was most important to me in my life, then 
That's it. Oh, and what's that one called? It's called Alpena Golf Club. It's literally just like a oh, okay. 6,000 yard municipal. Okay. Those are fun. All right. Well, awesome. Thank you for, uh, thank you for joining us on the show. And it's been a great time getting to know you and hearing your story. And um, I've loved following everything you got. So keep it up. Thanks for having me on, Eric. I appreciate it. All the best. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and rate The Looper wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Looper Podcast. Talk to you next time.